Hi everyone, welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. I'm Joanne. And I'm Kim. We have one of our own with us today, registered dietitian, Mikkel Kuinga. If you guys don't know who Mikkel is, let me ask you this question. Have you heard of Nutrition Stripped? So for some of you, you may say yes. And for those of you that say that you don't know what Nutrition Stripped is, let me introduce who the founder of Nutrition Stripped actually is. So Mikkel is a registered dietitian, a wellness coach, an author, and she is proud to have created a trailblazing mind, body, and health company that supports the well-being of people around the world. Her purpose is to guide you on how to use nutrition as a catalyst to become more in tuned, connected, and aware of your well-being by practicing small daily actions that nourish your body, mostly with plants. By learning the science of nutrition and honoring the fundamental pillars of your health, your mental, emotional, and spiritual health, that is, Mikkel and her team have designed a mindful way of eating and living that's sustainable, aligned, and joyful. Welcome to the podcast, Mikkel. It is great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. And so are we. So we just want to ask you just a little background question so our listeners can just get to know you a little bit. So why don't you introduce yourself to the audience, give us a little fun fact, and just give us a little bit about what Nutrition Stripped is. Yes. Okay. Let me, I'll try to be concise. (laughs) So yeah, my name's Mikkel Kuinga. I'm a registered dietitian and I'm currently based here in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, goodness, my company Nutrition Stripped has been alive since for about eight and a half years now. So that has been such a fast journey, really beautiful journey, a lot of learning lessons along the way, which I'm sure we're going to get into today. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my philosophy as a registered dietitian and uh, is really in mindful nutrition. Mm-hmm. I love speaking to the fact that mindful nutrition, mindful living is such an important and crucial role and how we enjoy food, number one, and number two, also how we physically nourish our bodies and mm-hmm. just helping people have that sense of confidence um, and trusting their bodies to regulate hunger, to um, nourish themselves, to enjoy food, whether it's meal prep or cooking, to engage in feel good movement. Mm-hmm. So I really like to concentrate on sharing those different pillars of health, if you will, not just dabbling in the nutrition, but really how it all works together. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm really grateful to be here having a conversation with you both. And um, yeah. So when you say mindful nutrition, what do you mean exactly by that? So that the people can understand what you're saying when you say mindful nutrition? Yeah, mindful eating. So I like to think about mindful eating as three different pillars, if you will, like three different topics within mindful eating. I think it's also easy for some people to remember when you give them like a little bit of a framework. Mm-hmm. So what we eat, how mm-hmm. we eat and why we eat. So I really like to concentrate on those three areas. Um, I think there are so many different and growing variations of mindful eating or intuitive eating, for example. So I like to tackle those three things and help keep it really organized. So 
for example, what we eat, how we are actually physically nourishing our body on a cellular level, like with all those great macronutrients, mm-hmm. starchy carbohydrates, non-starchy mm-hmm. carbohydrates, protein, good fats. And then I like the fifth element, which is uh, unique to us, which I embrace wholeheartedly, which is that flavor factor. So mm, yeah. like vibrancy, that excitement, um, just enjoyment and pleasure. So I really like to lean into that one. And then the other pillar is how we eat. So maybe it's about setting up our environment physically to kind of cue us into eating. Um, And also those tiny little practices that we might engage in around a mealtime, whether it's putting all of our screens away, maybe Mm -hmm. it's taking a deep breath, maybe it's just checking in with our senses to observe the meal that we have in front of us. Tiny, you know, tiny little things I think that really impact that whole experience of the meal. And then the last one too is why we're eating. So really making sure we're checking in and we feel confident, we feel empowered with the knowledge to start to develop that self-reflection of what are our hunger cues, you know, how hungry am I, you know, for example, on a scale from one to 10. And that really helps people um, also gauge how much portion size they need and, you know, what that food is that they, they want to eat and why. So I like to kind of break it down. That was a very simplistic, quick version of it, but um <laughs> That's an easy way to to think a little bit about mindful eating. Nice. So, you know, I have a question for you, Mikkel, because I saw on your Instagram stories a couple weeks ago, you were speaking about information overload. And my question has multiple parts to it. So on the Nutrition Strip platform, you're educating people. I see that you launched your framework. I get the emails in my inbox every single day. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. So I wanted to know, like, you know, how do we combat this information overload and prevent people from getting confused? Because like the society that we live in, we have like this health and wellness industry, which makes it virtually impossible for people to know where to begin to eat healthy. You know, you're comparing and contrasting. So how do you how do you combat all of this? Yeah, this is such a great I love this conversation topic, Kim and Joanne, because on the flip side, too, as practitioners. Mm-hmm. Uh, information overload, right? Right, right. <laughs> but on the other side of the spectrum, um, I love this topic because health and nutrition and fitness, I would also kind of lump that within the same industry as well. I guess we could call that like what is known as wellness mm-hmm. has been booming. And mm-hmm. a lot of people think it's so saturated and it it really is a lot of content nonstop, whether it's media, magazines. Mm-hmm. Instagram accounts, YouTube, social media, there is a lot of information just like flying at people about what to eat, what not to eat. You'll be on Instagram and you'll have somebody say, don't eat beans. They're terrible for you. And then the Mm -hmm. next, literally the next person, maybe you go and it's like, beans are the greatest thing on earth. (sighs) So as a consumer, it's so confusing. And not only that, I think a consumer's mindset who would naturally be following or leaning into that type of media, there are people who want to make change. Mm-hmm. And they, they're in a mindset where they're like, you know, maybe they're trying to manage a health condition. Maybe they're just trying to feel healthier, or be healthier for their family, for themselves. Whatever motivation they have is genuine. And it's like, they're probably just so overwhelmed about all of the information as well. And they're kind of in that spot where they're like, I just want anything. I just want help. I just want support. Mm -hmm. And so it's an added emotional level of also trying to sift through that as a consumer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I feel like my 
tips for a consumer when you think about like the emo, uh, information overload. Mm-hmm. I always like to say, you know, of course I'm biased because I'm like, if you can, if you can follow a licensed practitioner, if you can follow, especially in the food world, mm-hmm. uh, registered dietitians, we are trained extensively in this topic. Um, that's going to be my baseline. That's my gold standard. So in addition to that, you know, everybody has specialties. Right. You know, Kim, Joanne, you both have beautiful passions and gifts and specialties, just like other dietitians do and mm-hmm. with other healthcare practitioners. So I would like to, to think that for consumers really trying to sift it through with kind of the lens of like, okay, well, who's uh, an expert and who's not just kind of bluntly and yeah. terms of what's their education, what's their background. Um, Cause we also have a code of ethics to, to follow. And so, you know, that you're going to be taken at least care of in that manner and know that, you know, we're not going to cause harm and we're going to try to provide it the best education as possible for people. So going and leaning in on that expert lens and that credential lens, I think is a great way for people to start. And then that second level will be like, okay, well, if you're looking for, for example, family meal planning or, mm-hmm. um, childhood nutrition or digestive health, then maybe you start to specialize and seek out those practitioners who are really specialized in that area. So you can feel a little bit more confident in that information that you're getting to. Right. And then the third thing I would say is like any relationship, um, just ask yourself as a consumer, who do you, who do you align with? Um, who do you jive with? Like, just like friendships and relationships, like who do you enjoy learning from? Mm -hmm. And I think that's another little level that people can kind of look at when they're feeling really, really overwhelmed with information. Like, where do I go? Who do I trust? What do I listen to? Potentially try to go through those three little steps and see if that lands you in a a little bit of like a, a smaller pool that helps you narrow it down a little bit. You know, I definitely love all of those tips, you know, because, you know, the presence that, to be honest with you, that you bring across on social media, Mikkel, at times I'm like, oh, you know, Mikkel's a dietitian, but you just come across making, you know, the meal planning and bringing the lifestyle aspect into it so easy. You make people trust Mm -hmm. you so much more. So I definitely think, you know, it's giving the people that do not have any certifications that just woke up one day and said, Hey, I'm going to do this a run for their money because they're able to turn to nutrition stripped and see, well, she's a professional. She has her master's. She's a dietitian. She knows what she's talking about. And I think, you know, sorting through the fluff, that's Mm -hmm. what the consumer points that the consumer needs to know, because at the end of the day, you know, is this going to hurt you or is it going to help you? So I definitely love those tips. Thank you for them. I totally agree. Um, I want to say this, being a child of the 90s, a product of the 90s, <laughs> I'm aging myself, right? <laughs> I would say that in the last 20 years or so, the information that has been put out there, now we have social media, but prior to that, it was like whatever you would see on TV, on daytime talk shows, all of that information has caused the consumers out there to have weird relationships with food. And now social media is even making it worse with all like the examples you gave earlier um, with what we see on social media. One minute uh, um, an account is telling you one thing, the next the other account is going totally against what you just saw. It's creating just sucky relationships with food. So I want to ask you, why do you think it is um, great to have a healthy relationship with food? And why, why is it so important? Yeah. Joanne, I love this question. And 
I'm going to hop right back to it because Kim, really quick, the, um, another thing that I was just thinking about on the tail end of your comment with consumers as in another tip too, because I was really highlighting social media in terms of individual experts, but there are also amazing, uh, like Healthline, for example, I really enjoy their content because they pool experts. So it's a really nice like website. If people got questions, hop in there, research that, see great articles written by experts. So I wanted to highlight that too, because sometimes people will lean into like the magazine titles and like the catchy titles and get really hung up on that. And then think again, that that's going to help them and it can contribute to even more information overload. So that was just another little point that I wanted to share. Um, And then Joanne, yeah, absolutely. Like developing a healthy relationship with food for me and my personal experience and also just how I think about food is we experience food mm-hmm. every day, all day, several times a day. Right. And so it's really important to cultivate a healthy relationship with food. And I'm using air quotes as I say healthy relationship with food right now mm-hmm. because our definitions of healthy are very, very unique. Right. to us individually. And so that's up to us as individuals to also define so that we can kind of like own that a little bit mm-hmm. more and figure out those things that are actually going to move the needle to create a healthy relationship with food. So for me, like my definition, some parts of my definition of healthy relationship with food is like, I want to, yes, first and foremost, like nourish my physical body because it's got to take me a lot of places. I got things to do, right. lots to think, people to hug. Uh, movement to feel good about. And so that's really got, that's really got to be a need that has to be met first. And then another layer of that is like, again, bringing in the other elements and roles that food plays in our lifestyle, like experiencing tradition, experiencing other cultures and socializing, enjoying it, having it for a pleasure. Those are beautiful reasons to enjoy food and to experience that. I find that you, you, you kind of do, you have to cultivate a healthy relationship with foods that you can experience those items and those aspects of food rather than, you know, deducing food to numbers, to macronutrients, to following food rules, to feeling really strict or rigid Mm -hmm. around it. And that's, that's a lot of the students that I see in the method membership, which is our year long program. And we see that a lot with our clients too. It's that urge and that, that desire to really just feel confident and trust themselves and start to cultivate that healthy relationship with food. So yeah, going back to that question, Joanne, food is in our lives all the time. And so if we're constantly around it, um, why not make it a really beautiful relationship or at least start to take those steps that right. get a great fruitful relationship. Right. And I'm totally in agreement. I love that you said um, it's individualized, the definition of healthy, because I hate the fact that things are so general. Um, you see on social media and people try to apply it to their lives. Like what you see on social media is not going to always be applicable to you. That person's background, their cultural background, their financial capabilities, whether they have kids running around the house or not, like you may have, all of that comes into play. So don't compare yourself to what you see to, um, I guess, to reach that success of healthy or wellness, quote unquote, that you're trying to, you know, find. I'm total agreement with that. I agree. So that brings me to something else that you said, Mikkel, you, you said the word of the day and the word of today is culture. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we're all different. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different ethnicities, different experiences, 
So I wanted to know how can non-minority practitioners make healthy eating habits work for a variety of people? The reason why I said that is because as a certified diabetes educator, I was speaking to a friend of mine who is also a dietitian and their father, who is from Africa, um, got nutrition counseling and the practitioner said something along the lines of, well, you know, eat more asparagus and get rid of the cornmeal starchy item that you're consuming. And this is a man in his 60s. And he was saying, I've never consumed asparagus in my life. Like, what? how do I even cook it? What is asparagus? So, you know, sticking more to the cultural background, what are some tips that you can give other health professionals? Because I think you do it well. You know, I've seen Thai food on your feed. I've seen different type of spices that you use. And I'm like, oh, I have to try that curry chickpeas or, you know, these Thai noodles. So what are some tips that you can give to uh, practitioners like ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm always learning and uh, listening and trying my best to apply it. So thank you if I'm, if I'm uh, doing a good job on that. But I think it really comes down to, honestly, I think about it in a really simple way. And it's that you have to meet people where they are and for who they are. Mm-hmm. Uniquely. I mean, I think of that as just, that's it. Um, and so what that means though, too, especially on like a one-on-one client capacity, which I, I actually don't coach one-on-one much anymore, but have in the past with very diverse cultures and upbringings and just lifestyles and backgrounds. And it's really important to honor the food, first of all, that a person enjoys that they like and dislike. I think that's one of our, that's one of our first uh, like questions on an intake form is like list out all of your favorite things. And we maybe give guidelines and I try my best to also represent a wide variety of cultural foods just to like kind of get the wheels turning so they can think Mm -hmm. like, Oh, okay, that's a carbohydrate or that's a protein choice I could have. Um, So I think it is really meeting people where they are and then catering that care and catering those plans or those conversations and that counseling or coaching to what they actually need in that moment. So really I think it's celebrating it, it's respecting it. And then also as a practitioner, you know, it's not that I have this whole data based in my mind of, of knowing all of this. Um, Mm -hmm. I take time and research it prior to, for example, a one-on-one client, or if I'm engaging with somebody who has a different cultural upbringing and background, or they eat certain types of foods that might not be representative of what I'm used to. Um, I research it and I try to get to know it and then have great open conversations, open communication and, um, make sure it's comfortable. So it's, you know, it's, it's all of those aspects I think of that coaching element that are so important with, with any kind of background. Right. And I think that is definitely the, the definition of cultural humility, you know, mm-hmm. taking the time to seek out and to understand different cultures, where they're coming from, their beliefs, their values, because when we are culturally humble, then we're culturally aware. So that ethnocentrism, which is basically, you know, putting one's culture above another culture does not take place. So it promotes cultural sensitivity, all cultures, you guys, you're going to have me preaching. Uh, it, it promotes cultural sensitivity so that, you know, no culture is good. No culture is bad. Culture is it's it just is it's right. it's benign. So, you know, I like the fact that you also said you take time to research. And I know now is an overwhelming time, not only for dietetic practitioners, but for everyone in the world. And mm-hmm. they're saying, you know, well, how can I be a little more culturally competent and culturally aware 
We're not expected to have all the answers. Like, I don't know much about Asian cultures, but by exposing yourself, by speaking to people, by doing the research, that's how you can get an increased understanding. I agree. So let's talk meal prepping tips and hacks. Um, we're living in a crazy pandemic world. <laughs> Look how she's doing a little dance. That's, that, that must be your exciting. You're excited. I'm excited, dance. <laughs> so we're living in this crazy pandemic world. Um, I am a mom of four in a digital teaching. I don't even know what to call it anymore. Time period. I have my my things that I do to help me at, at home. Um, my little hacks and um. It's ever-changing because my kids, I have boys, they're growing, things have to change. I do a rolling system at home where I'll make, I'll batch cook stuff, and then every day I'll just pair it with one new item. Everybody may think it's a new meal, but it's not. It's just a um, reinventing whatever was the day before. <laughs> so give, give us um, some easy meal prepping tips and hacks that you may have for our audience? Uh, well, first, I think you are like a master meal prep. Um, ah. Sometimes I have a challenge just doing that for myself and my husband. So yeah, props to you. Thank um, you. I, I love that rolling, um, that rolling method that you were mentioning. Mm. I like to keep it really simple with meal prep because sometimes when we mention meal prep, going, going back to social media and information overload, I think uh -huh. a lot of visualize meal prep as that overhead shot of all of the glass containers with all of the portions and the yes. food and it's like they have 10 of them and then they mm -hmm. stack them in the fridge it can look like that absolutely mm -hmm. if that works for you and that is how you like to meal prep like go, go that route a hundred percent but for me I like to keep it nice and simple and I also mm -hmm. like variety so mm -hmm. like I was mentioning earlier, having that like flavor factor component to what we eat mm -hmm. is such a nice addition to any meal so that like every day I'm presented with a choice where I could be like, you know what, what am I in the mood for? Am I in the mood to have Thai food or am I in the mood for Mexican food or am I in the mood for Italian or something like lemon and dill? It gives you some flexibility. Mm -hmm. So what I like to do is meal components. I basically will cook off uh, maybe it's a half hour, an hour on the weekend, or even like maybe two little mini meal prep sessions during the week, depending on my schedule. Mm -hmm. And I'll roast off veggies that I have on deck or in season. I've actually been gardening um, this year a lot. So I'm, Me too. I'm really, really like loving that journey. And mm -hmm. that has been a whole other addition to um, a fruitful relationship with food. Um, that's a sidebar, but mm -hmm. I've been roasting off just like anything I can get my hands on from the garden and then kind of supplementing it with grocery picks. And then at the same time that I'm baking things off, maybe I'll be making some rice on the stovetop mm -hmm. or maybe like batches of oatmeal or cooking some hard boiled eggs or something like that. So I try to multitask as much as possible mm -hmm. and cook things really simple, like right. no seasonings, nothing fancy. Mm -hmm. That way I can store them in the same container and then I can go into the fridge during the week, see what I have. And then I kind of just do my little nourish meal template. Okay, where's my non-starchy carbohydrate? Where's my starchy carbohydrate? Let me get a protein. Let me get a fat. And then depending on my mood, I'll add in that flavor to just jazz it up a little bit. Mm -hmm, <laughs> so mm -hmm. That's what I like. And it's, it's fun for me and works for my lifestyle. So I think with anybody listening, if you're new to meal prep or you feel a little like, oh, I'm struggling with it. 
try to just ask yourself, like, what is going to work for your lifestyle first? If it's, you know, full on meal prep, or you do some type of rolling method, or you do some components, or you make maybe like a few recipes per week that are fully done, like a soup or a stew, that way you just like have something to go to. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, there's just so many forms, but I love it because it's so versatile and it saves you a lot of time and a lot of mental fatigue. So, right. I love it. I love it. And, and, you know, like you said, people make it hard and it doesn't have to be hard. You got to do what works for you. Them 10 stacked up, uh, pre-made colorful meals you see on Instagram may not work for you. Um, and it may not work for you every week. Like you have to switch it up. Like I do frozen meals sometimes and I'll put, I'll make batch vegetables. We eat something in Haiti called legume. It's really like a mixture of vegetables and I'll batch cook it. Like I batch cooked a whole bunch yesterday and I froze half of it because next week I may not have time to make that. And I'm like, if I'm in a, um, in a bind and I'm looking for vegetables, I pop that out and we got vegetables. Yeah. So you got to make your own little frozen fruit foods. Um, whatever works for you is what you got to do. I also like the way that you explain mindful eating, Mikkel. Um, you know, you have your starchy vegetable, your non-starchy vegetable, your protein, and, you know, you're making a nutrient-dense meal because I feel, you know, I just have to say this, and Joanne knows I have to say this. <laughs> um, it's not all about the brownies and the cookies and the cheat days that are promoted on social media. So I love the fact that you're always promoting a nutrient-dense meal. So with that being said, final take-home point. What is one thing that everyone should know about nutrition? Oh, it's going to be really hard for me to make a one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So with the sidebar that we've already said that it's very unique to you, Uh um, I would like to say that it's, I think it's simpler than most people think Mm -hmm. in the context of nourishing your body can take so many different forms and we so I think especially with again like information overload and this industry that we're in we can start to micromanage nutrition and get really hung up on like oh is this working for me or is this not should I do this or should I not sometimes I think we just need to take a deep breath and just assess like hey am I just nourishing my body today and again that's why I like using the nourish meal template because it's an easy checkbox system for people to understand like am I actually eating all of my macronutrients am I balancing them or am I at least taking that first step to have a balanced meal Mm -hmm. so I I would like to yeah wrap wrap it up with that (laughs) I love it well Mikkel it was great having you here today I want you to tell the people, who whoever do not know who you are, because you are pretty big on Instagram, right? Whoever does not know who you are, let them know where they can find you on social media. Yes. So I am at Nutrition Stripped on Instagram and all, all social platforms. And I think the, the best way to get a hold of me slash like just engage and learn a little bit more about mindful eating, if you're new to that, is to head to my website, nutritionstrip.com. We have literally like 90% of what I do is for free recipes, hundreds of articles, workshops, all kinds of good stuff, eBooks. Um, so you can start to learn and apply it uniquely for you. And then we have a method membership if, so, if somebody wants to take that to the next level where it's a full on year mindful eating program. So that's oh, okay. all on my website. 
Awesome. And if you guys don't believe Mikkel, believe her. I went on her website and 90% of the stuff legitimately is for free. I don't know how you keep up with all of it, Mikkel, but you're doing a great job educating the public. You really are. So with that being said, guys, remember to comment, like, subscribe, and share this podcast episode. We thank you guys for listening and see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.